0: Hi, and welcome to Rather Be Reading, the inaugural episode of The Point podcast. I'm Rachel Wiseman, managing editor of The Point, and I'm here with John Baskin and Anastasia Berg, my co editors. We know you'd rather be reading, and so would we, but we have some things to discuss. Is there such a thing as a conservative intellectual? I flew into New York with my co-editor, Anastasia Berg, Hello. on Wednesday for uh, the Brooklyn Book Festival. And on our first night in town, uh, we attended this panel called What Happened to the Public Intellectuals? It was held at Verso Books uh, and was put on by The New Republic. Moderating the panel was uh, the books editor of The New Republic, Laura Marsh. And on the panel were Bhaskar Sankara. That's,
1: that's pronounced uh, the Trump of the left. <laughs>
0: Uh, Rachel Rosenfeld from The New Inquiry, Jeet here of, of The New Republic, and Dana Tortorici from N Plus One. The consensus on the panel was, no, there isn't such a thing as a conservative intellectual. But if there were, it would be terrifying. John, you went to Claremont College earlier this year to interview some uh, self-described conservative intellectuals. Are you Okay.
2: It was harrowing, but uh, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting question to ask, especially right now, uh, about whether they're conservative intellectuals. Um, I went to Claremont to, to do this article for the Chronicle Review in February, and I met there with a group of people who consider themselves conservative intellectuals and run a book review, and had been some of the earliest supporters of what they called Trumpism, which was an idea that they sort of associated Trump as an instrument you know, for a set of ideas that were very important to them, namely, uh, above all, an idea that actually is quite familiar to the left, which is that they thought that Trump could kind of bring about the end of the, the sort of power grip of bureaucratic elites in our government and sort of return politics to a, uh, a place where the people could actually express their values through their government, uh, through their elected representatives instead of these kind of experts. And, uh, you know, so while in Claremont, I attended a class with the editor of the Review, who's the Claremont McKenna government professor, Charles Kessler. Kessler studied with Harvey Mansfield and Judas Sklar at Harvard, um, and then with the famous West Coast Straussian, um, Harry Jaffa at Claremont. And, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's a well-thought-of professor. He's the editor of the edition of the Federalist Papers that are read all over, all over, in high schools all over the country. And, um... You know, this had been this has been sort of Kessler's moment because uh, because of the the role the the magazine played in the run up to the election, and uh, particularly through one of his students, uh, someone named Michael Anton, who wrote several articles for him and then was hired by the Trump administration, you know, on the national security team. So on the panel, one of the things we sort of struggled with watching the panel was what exactly is a public intellectual? There were sort of some different definitions given and not a lot of consensus but one of them you know the the clearest one was from Jeet here, who said you know a public intellectual is someone who sort of straddles academia and the public sphere, uh, the political sphere, and wants to be involved in the political conversations uh, through ideas and uh, by that standard it's very hard to see how uh, these Claremont scholars could be anything other than um public intellectuals, and you know they 're certainly not the only cases of this. We have several uh, small ma- uh, both big and small magazines on the right, just like we have on the left who are writing about ideas that are right wing ideas and it's sort of interesting you know i, I don 't disagree that some of these ideas are dangerous, um, but i don't think we 're harmed by reading them uh, and uh, that's sort of the, 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 that was sort of, that's sort of i guess maybe the difference between the points. Um, attitude towards some of these ideas and some of what we heard on the panel. But, you know, I guess the panel did raise this question for me of sort of what is the reason to deny that there are intellectuals on the right? Because, I mean, there seem obvious reasons for accepting that they're there. And, uh, you know, I mean, G mentioned briefly some of the conservative intellectuals in the past, like, um, Leo Strauss and, uh, you know, well, he mentioned Nietzsche, that's debatable, but Carl Schmitt, people like that. And, and, and to say that, you know, that they're still with us, it seems almost common sense so it's interesting what the um, what the what the impetus is to deny this and uh yeah I mean I know Anastasia we were talking about some of this earlier
1: yeah well I think the obvious answer one would say you don't want to give your opponents power uh this sounds funny today because they seem to already have the power uh and it seems like calling them intellectuals is no big compliment uh but I think what it seems to me what's motivating the thought uh people on the panel i think that's like the deep disagreement between myself and uh people uh, at the point and them is that i think that they and something perhaps that they share with conservatives that i think they mis- they distrust their audience um i think that they distrust their audience to be able to uh, both be presented something seriously and be able to make their choices for themselves to be able to suspend judgment um and to be able to deeply appreciate that uh to come up on top intellectually, you have to like test your ideas and you have to stage the public debate, um, and I think that's both what we're trying to do, and I think that's also why we are often, uh, uh, people either confuse us for conservatives or at least are deeply confused about what, what it is that we're up to. Um,
2: it's funny that it's become like a conservative thing, or people think it's conservative to argue that one ought to take ideas from different perspectives seriously. Uh, it's just that's a strange development. I mean, I think to us, it's... which by the way,
1: the conservatives are not doing it. The real <laughs> no. conservatives, the columns of the conservatives are not doing this. They're not sitting around, uh, you know, taking n one and Jacobin any more seriously. They're taking them. Um... No. no, in
2: fact, you know, we ran this article by J- uh, by James Dusterberg in the last issue of the magazine about these uh, neo reactionaries who are the kind of philosophers of certain parts of the alt right, and you know, they have this whole. Um, they have this whole sort of metaphor for looking at liberalism. They call it the matrix. You know, it's like liberalism is this whole thing there to fool you about reality, and it's just to, um, just to maintain certain people in power. And, you know, we have sort of, it's interesting, there's sort of a mirror image of that, where on the left they think conservatism is not, these aren't real ideas, no one could actually, in fact, they're, they're so obviously ridiculous that no one could even believe them. They must just be there to bail power, you know, power dynamics or privilege. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, I think we take it as, as besides just a matter of sort, of sort of honesty, of sort of intellectual honesty, we take it as a matter of political responsibility to try and actually meet these ideas. It seems like the pol- more politically responsible thing to do is actually meet these ideas, which obviously are convincing to many people, um, and, uh, and, and take them as arguments and treat them as such.
0: And it's that spirit that we try to bring to the magazine, and that we're going to try to demonstrate on this podcast starting with our next segment, where we'll be discussing someone some people consider to be a conservative intellectual, the New York Times columnist David Brooks, with our lefty friend Jake Biddle, who hates him.
3: This is Charitable Reading.
2: One of our segments I'd Rather Be Reading is we're going to look at an article from the past week that we're, uh, you know, that we... That we don't like, basically, or that we have questions about. And the article we chose this week is called Whitewash. That we feel
1: strongly about. That
2: we feel strongly about, that we have thoughts about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And hopefully we find someone else to talk to that has thoughts about it, maybe different thoughts from ours. So this week's article is uh, Whitewash. It's the latest in the genre of uh, vicious. Uh, personal attacks on David Brooks the real
1: enemy
2: the real enemy since the election of Donald Trump this uh, populist right winger who's never read a book uh, people have really fastened in on the problem uh, as being New York Times columnist <laughs> David Brooks um, and, uh, you know, this article is written by Chris Lehman uh, the, at The Baffler. They, they they made a big deal about it. It's his last column with them. It's a big, you know, sort of promotion for it. Uh, and the article basically is about a column that David Brooks wrote where he uh, he said uh, he admitted that the Republicans are kind of racist. He said that the party has a race problem. They have too many, uh, you know, they... they, uh, they, they uh, white racists. Yeah, they have a race problem. He said, especially in recent years, they've developed a race problem. So you would think, you know, people on the left, we think, this is great. David Brooks has just in the New York Times uh, admitted that the Republicans have a race problem. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. thank you. But uh, this is not the the response. Let me just read you the first line of this article. Um, Chris Lehman, like a recumbent sloth jolted into a panicked flight response. David Brooks has belatedly noticed the rancid politics of right-wing racial confrontation. So the article goes on for about, you know, a few thousand words uh, from there with all kinds of insults to, to David Brooks and his, uh, you know, not having come to this conclusion about the racism of the Republicans more quickly, which, you know, is... is I'm sure it would have been nice if he'd come to it more quickly. But I guess I'm just curious. This kind of article seems to get reproduced about once a week with people you know, so angry at Brooks on the left. And it's just curious to me. I mean, we had the sandwich article that people, you know, almost broke Twitter because he talked about buying a sandwich for his, uh, you know, his. I don't know, someone who worked for him. Um, and uh, anyway... A friend. A friend, a
0: so, supposed friend. So
2: we have here to talk about this uh, Jake Biddle, a former uh, intern at the point, and a, a noted David Brooks hater, um, someone who wrote a column uh, attacking Brooks when he was the commencement speaker at University of Chicago, uh, Brooks' alma mater, where, where we're also from, and... Uh, you know um well first one question i had for you jake before we get into this article is just what would you would you call what would you call brooks
4: like would you call him a conservative intellectual uh, i think that's the label that he would want i mean i think that like i mean i think that the, the easiest like characterization that everyone would sort of jump to is like a centrist but i don't know that he's even a centrist i mean definitely like in the past, has cleaved to like what he calls conservative principles, and like and like identified those with, but only in so much as he identifies them with like principles of like moral uprightness, right? Like I think he would, I mean, he rejects like what he thinks of as right. partisanship and like uh, sort of deep conviction. So, what uh, do you have against moral uprightness? It's not so much that I have something against moral uprightness, but that I think that like what becomes so tiresome about Brooks's columns is that like he wants to locate, like, political reality and, like, what matters politically, like, in, he wants, to, like, sort of, well, he wants to locate it everywhere but where it actually is, but, like, mostly he wants to, like, I think, uh, like, boil down, like, pol- like, political reality to, like, morals and, like, character and, like, uh, principles, but not principles of, like, what you would like the world to look like, like, how you'd like people to act, and, like, you know, the way you'd like your politicians to sort of conduct themselves in public, right? Like, I think that not to preempt you, but like I think that like what's kind of annoying now, like seeing Brooks like go after the race problem in the party is that for so long in the primaries, his big problem with Trump was that Trump was like, you know, spittling on stage and like sort of like kept saying rude things about Jeb Bush.
3: The, the norms of behavior, the invisible codes have been ripped away. And so one of the things when I talk about Trump as a revolution in manners. And the reason we have manners, the reason we don't talk about each other's wives and how they look, or the reason we don't insult people's looks or call people losers and liars, uh, is that it enables us to have a conversation. It enables us to be a community and be citizens together. If you rip away those manners, it's just dog eat dog.
2: So he didn't. He didn't call Trump out when he would do like uh, the kind of racist stuff on the campaign.
4: No, I think he did a couple times, but I, he would re- you know repeatedly like resort to people like Kasich, uh, you know Rubio, who has like vile immigration politics, and I think even at some point at, when I sort of came down to it, Ted Cruz, right, who's like you know just sort of evil in a lot of ways mm-hmm. because they were you know they conformed more traditionally to this sort of I don't know like. Um, proper, like, uh, sincere, express, like, you know, sort of straightforward, like, political male type that he identifies so,
2: so this strikes me as, like, a fair criticism of Brooks, like, you know, he focuses on character over lots of other things that matter in politics, and he's sort of obsessed with this sort of, what did he write a book called, like, The Road, the road to Road virtue. to character. character. The Road and to and character. character, yes. Not Virtue. See, character. based on the road to serfdom, uh, <laughs> this is The Road to Virtue. Yeah. Um not as slippery but um anyway uh but, but a
1: common is decency yes right. yeah. yes propriety right and well that, he's not talking about courage and and friendship when he talks about virtue he talks about a certain kind of decency and the way we hold ourselves in public well because right. he thinks that these norms are important right yeah
4: yeah yeah i mean he thinks that i mean first okay. he thinks that like when he talks about virtue like he doesn't he specifically says you know don't worry about in this road to character book he says he wants to you want to cultivate like eulogy virtues like people who like things that people would put in your eulogy right which is kind of like i think that's true really nice you know like you know he was really nice he really like tried to always like had a laugh and like a helping hand for someone um right as opposed to like i don't know like what you actually did
2: but why do you think he evokes such horror on the left, I mean, at a time where you might think, like, there are other people out there to really be, uh, concerned with, um, you know, in this sort of time of populist uprising and a very anti-intellectual yeah, yeah, mood yeah. out in the country, um, w- you know, this New York Times columnist who writes these kind of, you know, somewhat, uh, you know, not very aggressive kinds of Essentially columns. Essentially harmless columns. Yeah, 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 but as
0: an illustration of the kind of, like, disgust that he elicits... The Baffler, I mean it's a good gimmick. It's I wish I had thought of it, but like they came out with this roll of toilet paper mm. that's just a bunch of David Brooks columns. Right, right, right. You know? But I think it it's indicative of something, yeah, people right? People
2: are wiping their ass on the left with David Brooks. Yeah, I mean yeah. this is really this is strong stuff. If everybody has bourgeois social cues, the bourgeois social cues are not a value added anymore. Yep. So none of these things, if universally applied, would solve anything.
4: Yeah, I mean I don't know I like I'm worried that I'll disappoint you by like failing to like give an account of why like this there's like so much rage around this guy and I think that it's I think that it's not as though he's I mean like like you sort of um gestured at the beginning, it's not as though he's like the enemy or something. I think it's just that like Jake,
1: how many pieces have you written in your life? Uh, half a, de- a, dozen, of yeah. a dozen? Pieces of writing? Yeah, dozen pieces. You're young, right. you're very young.
4: Not that many pieces of Not writing, many. but more than half, more than a dozen. A
1: dozen, okay, okay.
4: Definitely more than 20. One of them was about
1: David Brooks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, you that's a good point. You took time <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, of it, your day. Yeah. And you wrote things. And you published <laughs> right. them in, in the maroon, or school right, paper. Yeah, right, right. yeah,
4: yeah. No, I just, think that, I just think that it's kind of his... Um, inability to like he I mean it's not I don't know if I'd say sloth but he has a kind of like when you read, when you read his columns there's a sense of like an animal like a prairie dog like looking around like what is going on like i can't believe that my politicians have so little virtue and it's again it's not as though he
1: easy target? Isn't oh, the thaws, absolutely. Like, we can't, you know, we can't, there's nothing I can write that that will bring Bannon down. There's something also Rose's. about the idea, I
2: think, maybe that, like, he is read and taken seriously by people in our cultural world. Absolutely, too. I there's think... an
4: entire previous generation of, I mean, like, my grandmother, for instance, and grandfather, like, they, like, even though, and, like, there's people who've hammered this point so much, or like, Hamilton Nolan, at, mm-hmm. at Gawker now, wherever he is, Splinter, like, who's, like, you know, basically every couple months will do an article about how all the New York Times columnists are bad. And it's just true. And, like, Maureen Dowd and and whatever, like, they... And Tom Friedman, like, I, I don't like them either. And, like, if they had been my commencement speaker probably would have written an article about them too. Just because, but it's like, this is like a, it's like a hal- I mean, look, nobody like should be looking to the New York Times for like, you know, to like give like political guidance. Friedman
2: though, example. you know, like to me it's like Friedman's actually a lot more pernicious than Brooks because Friedman has been writing these columns about like technology making the world a better oh, place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which actually have like, I think, influenced like the way our world's developing. I mean, the interesting thing to me about like the way that, that Brooks... Has somehow become this weird scapegoat right now. Is like his kind of conservatism
3: is it like dying. No, it influences right now. No,
4: Well, that's what I mean. That might be what like what. Um, and I know you have like some different thoughts about the sandwich column, but that might be what <laughs> like brings out the real teeth for people. Is that when you read the columns, his world, his way of seeing the world, right? Like all this is happening because our like norms as a society are collapsing. Like and like it just sort of seems to be like out of tune drastically with the way a lot of people see like politics is being conducted and like he frequently will take like some philosopher, like a mid century sort of like yeah. social theorist mm-hmm. or like philosopher and just say like pick like a couple lines, like his theory was that like, you know, when people stop going to church, like society declines. We like, all have and, a
2: special sensitivity from you, Chicago, about his misuse of the great books.
4: Right, right, exactly. I mean say like Kant said, you know, it's really important to pray and like now that no one's <laughs> praying, like we have Trump. I mean that's like that's like is it kind of the argument that he's... Giving in a lot of these columns, like it's easy. Like it's an, he's an easy target, folks. Can he looks, you, have you seen his picture? He looks like I don't know. A recumbent you know, sloth. So, I don't. I can, don't think that's the right answer. Can you? So can, you uh, can you? Can uh, you tell the story that Brooks told at the at the commencement? So basically, like he <laughs> he told he told us that like you know University of Chicago gave him a lot of things, but the one thing it didn't teach him or the students was like how to be intimate.
3: Chicago is a place where you lose your virginity slowly
4: like how to have intimate relationships with people yeah. and like basically <laughs> said basically said that it like wounds people for the rest of their lives and they grow up to be sort of like not capable of like loving properly and the implication here i don't know if he expected us to get it but i i got it was that like he went yeah, through you have a pretty a bad divorce with him. he went through a really like contentious divorce because he slept with his research assistant male and female female oh. who's now like his uh like i guess they're engaged or they're involved somehow they live together um, and he's basically, and this sort of just like it
1: worked out. Why is he blaming you Chicago for? Well, that's
4: what I'm saying. Is yeah. he threw it back on the training he got <laughs> at U Chicago, and so he said, you know, to the graduating seniors, like what you should do after working so hard and being so. You know, not getting any. I don't think anyone went to U Chicago thinking they would learn how to be intimate. Like it doesn't appear in any of the promotional materials at all. They
0: do say that fifty uh, percent of U Chicago graduates end up marrying someone from U Chicago. They really say that? Yeah. That's was, so when funny. I was on a tour, I they with Plato.
4: Wow. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And so he said, "What you should do is like on the night before graduation, like text your friend and like go into the book stacks and make out."
3: So I'm asking one final thing of you, members of the class of 2017. Tomorrow you will graduate, and that's a great accomplishment. But before you do, I hope that tonight you will do one thing to cap your education. Go to the Regenstein with a special friend in your life. Find the spot deep in the stacks where Nietzsche's death of tragedy is found. But don't open the book. Take off some of your clothes and fool around. Thank you, and God bless you.
1: Take, I'm going to defend Brooks on this because the, okay. if you go to the library to the stacks, the light goes on automatically. Right? <laughs> so, suppose you wanted to go to the stacks hypothetically, you couldn't because the light would go off in the darkness. Anastasia, yes. how do you know this? Because I've checked out a book at the library. Everyone in knows In my this. life, Rachel. Yeah,
2: have you ever been to the library, Rachel?
1: <laughs> there are Russian websites for this.
2: Well, the thing, the thing, I mean, this is actually the interesting thing because I think, like, the place that, I mean, I. To me, it doesn't sound so bad to advocate for certain moral norms in society. I mean, I think that that's, like, you know,
3: a defensible thing to do. These intellectual virtues may seem elitist, but once a country tolerates dishonesty, incuriosity, and intellectual laziness, everything else falls apart.
1: I don't know if this is relevant, but I don't know what the hell, like, advocating for norms is. No, 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 no. Virtue. Let me say something concrete. Virtue is not instilled, or no one's obtruded to virtue by reading New York Times columns. I think what's insufferable is the problems of a virtue are not addressed in this way. It's, I mean, what? I'm going to try and be what nicer? Well, and he doesn't address thing. them
4: in himself either. That's, I mean,
2: that no, was this mean, It's good.
4: a grand hypocrisy to say that people have. I mean, and. and that they've lost their virtue or whatever, and then he, bland, you know, he find, that gave us sort of the key to the columns. He constantly, it's you not know, like his wife comes up in his columns, so everyone's wondering how can this guy possibly believe that everyone should be nicer and like more loving and, and stuff when he really did something pretty bad to his wife and like cheated on her. And he gave us the answer in the speech, but I think that I mean I think that <laughs> I think that it, it's because he escape. He went to the University of Chicago. No, but it?
1: actually, that's really really similar. Wait, I think you have the key because he blamed you Chicago for not instilling enough, basically enough virtue, like interpersonal yeah. virtue in yeah. order to conduct a successful relationship with people. And he's saying the problem today is to not instill enough virtue and then people make mistakes. They elect Trump. Right. And the no thought less. is that I could speak to students about it. And this, if if you haven't learned to be intimate, well, thank God, David Brooks is going to give you a commencement speech and going to really help you bridge those gaps between yourself and your fellow students. Uh, you should probably right. right. do right. And the same thing is happening at the level of society. Like, if you're not raised well, David Brooks is going to write a column for you.
3: Sometimes I think the whole disaster of the Trump presidency is because of a breakdown in intellectual virtue, a breakdown in America's ev- ability to face evidence clearly, to pay due respect to the concrete contours of reality.
4: It's the classic, like, back in World War Two, we were, you know, young men were going to fight the Nazis, now they're getting triggered, right? Or some, yeah, you know, but citizenship. Like, well, this yeah. is why, like, in the article, Lehman compares him to Lilla,
2: you know, this right. notion of, like, citizenship, of the good of the whole over the individual. Um,
1: it is a nostalgic idea mm-hmm. about basically decent and good people. Yeah, yeah. And I'm and much more sympathetic decent, to this idea than you guys And basically are, decent but. and good people... Uh, make the right choices, more or less politically, more or less. Right. And and I think I don't know if this is why the left is so interested, particularly about Brooks, but that there's that does seem to be. Um, and I certainly do not think that the problem is that he like caught up too late about the racism of the a Republican Definitely Party. Not. But that this, somehow the diagnosis is, is so mistaken, mm-hmm. um, and that there's something insulting about uh, both the diagnosis and especially these kind of like lame, limp. Solutions, we're right. like moralizing right. about against voting against Trump, but it looks like just just to say it, it looks like the causes that are brought to Trump's election, whatever they are, are bigger than like this, just like browbeating and, like, honest, the whole thing is like, like one big commencement is exactly. just drink water, hold hands, text your friend, and yes. say thank you, yeah. Yeah. and good morning. Get off your smartphone. Yeah, right. say thank and, you. Oh, yeah. And say fun. thank you to that woman who comes and cleans your house. Like, like that, right. that, exactly. that seems exactly. to me I no, know, a good reason. it's to like to a similar angry. move
4: to, like, the really maligned like, Brett Stevens column where he's like, what's the problem with the way that we're talking about climate change, right? And it's like, it's that we live in an era where everyone
1: is too certain. Doesn't take seriously the idea that people actually hold other political beliefs, and like many political thinkers, he identifies the causes some, somewhere else. So, right. uh, but he doesn't identify it in uh, you know capitalist uh, class structure. He doesn't identify it, and I don't know what like deep seated racism in America. He identifies it in this idea of like this lack of decency virtues.
2: But so here's the point. So you yourself say you're, like, kind of exhausted with the Brooks stuff. Who's Who should be
4: our next target? Who are the next attack, mm-hmm. polemics? That's uh, a good question. I mean, I think that the, the thing about, like... Right, right, right. And I'm I not sure how many people, how many big figures there are remaining in the genre of, like, people who, um, you know, have been, like, sort of given a pass and, like, allowed to just sort of produce bullshit, yeah. um, but are now being... Like, you know, but we have to, like... Because, actually, they're, like, way stupider than... I would actually think that Jacobins should be attacked. Oh, like, um. wow. <laughs> like, I think... That, well, I just think that, like, that, like, like, Baskar and Connor Kilpatrick have basically a soapbox, too. They're no longer, like, Every grounded. political
1: party can have its own pamphlet and, and right. signs. What's right, wrong right, right, with that? Right, but
4: every political party can be criticized on the basis of the pamphlets, too, right?
1: Oh, yeah, like, yeah. The, the socialism can't... I just... They're not a...
4: They're, they're not what?
1: I mean, it's a bit of a with a bit of a what? Uh, well, no, you. <laughs> no, this is just to say, like they they, they want to have a little propaganda paper. They can have a propaganda yeah, paper. Yeah, but I he's mean.
4: saying we can attack them for it. That's all he's saying. Right, and Brooks is the propaganda paper for this, like sort of like really well,
1: entrenched.
0: This is this is maybe a basic question, but do you think conservatives read him and? Take him seriously. Like, it seems like his audience is really, I don't know, like, my parents, right? Like, right, liberals. Right, right, right. Well, he's
4: not writing, I don't think that anymore he's primarily, I don't think he's primarily being read by people who agree with him. I think that he does, I mean, I think that I he think does. You'd be surprised. Well, I'm sure, but I think that, you know, given that the readership of the Times, like, he's a little bit more liberal than yeah. I think he is, and I'm sure people don't find his, I'm sure there's a lot of people who don't find his column objectionable, like, enough to where they're like, this guy should be fired or something. But I do think that, like, he also, like, kind of writes... You to have rank called for him to be fired. What? You've, You've called, called for him to be fired, no, right? I no, I haven't. Okay. I don't think... I'm not having oh, called. Okay. I just think he probably should okay, be. But I'm okay. not...
0: Is the fact that he writes these columns that are, like, bringing... To like the racism of the of the Republican Party and lamenting this kind of thing, like if he is read by those kinds of principled conservatives, is there something that well, that's, like, yeah, could that's he a good question. Self? It's like
2: at what point does someone like this, as objectionable as we may find them, based on like the ecosystem of the right right now, actually become like a positive force, regardless of like
1: well, well this sounds like just like a nagging Never Trumper, where I don't, he's not offering new paradigms. I would
2: bet you he convinced more people to not vote for. Trump. Trump than like Marina Dowd did. I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, it's right? hard to say. But honestly, like, like the one, the one constituency that reads Brooks seriously, I think, is like suburban Republicans. Yeah, like voted for Trump. A lot of them did, but not in as high them.
1: as I said. I think that those a lot of those people change what they read now. Uh-huh. I, mean, I, I
2: don't just, know. It'd be
4: interesting. He was pretty uh, equivocal around the time of the general election, too. I mean, he was like, you know, there's serious problems with both candidates. You would wish that there's someone like Margaret Rubio on the ticket, right? And I, think,
1: right. and I think, and I think that means that he cannot be, uh, I don't mean, thought leader in a simple sense. So I don't, <laughs> no, no, that I don't think he can be a voice on the right that can uh, show the Republican Party a way out of its predicament, but pointing backwards and talking about Rubio during up yeah. there.
4: Maybe you can clarify something for me. Since I've been, you know, waiting for the fleet to show up, I've read a lot. Really? And one of the things that keeps popping up is this about subtext. Plays, novels, songs, they all have a subtext, which I take to mean a
5: hidden message or import of some kind. So subtext, we know. But what do you call the message or meaning that's right there on the surface, completely open and obvious? They never talk about that. What do you call what's above the subtext? the text. Okay, that's right, but they never talk about that.
4: When you get a chance, would you please call your mother?
1: segment of the show John calls his mom to consult about uh, politics uh, daily affairs
2: do I have to
1: yeah you have to John (laughs) call your mom John
2: okay 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 hello hi mom
5: hey Judy hey everybody it's, hey. it's
2: me and Anastasia, Rachel just had to go, our friend Jake Biddle is with us as well, he works at The Nation, and uh, you know, we just wanted to call in on our first podcast and, uh, and, and introduce you to everybody, very important figure for the point, and uh, we like to consult with you about what's happened in politics this week. Okay, consult away. So, you know, I mean, mainly I've just been curious what you think about the, uh, the Trump uh, pivot, You know, do you feel like he's becoming a Democrat again?
5: (laughs) I think he's just totally an opportunist and will do whatever he thinks might work. And um, I think he's actually probably more comfortable with Chuck Schumer than he is with the Republicans. These are people, somebody he's known for a long time. Uh, But I don't know what it means because right after he pivoted, he pivoted back and said, you know, well, I certainly didn't decide to do this without the wall. So who knows?
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, that's safe to say. And I also think you know, it's also interesting and dangerous territory
5: for the Democrats because while they want to get this stuff done, and I think they should, you know, cooperate on some of the stuff, they also, you know, risk being seen as, you know, helping him get reelected if he gets some of this stuff
2: done. So I think it's a very challenging and interesting kind of uh, balance they have to keep. You've been a critic of Nancy Pelosi in the past. Do you think uh, you think she's she's doing a good job, sort of playing this uh, playing this role now?
5: I've actually never been a critic of Nancy Pelosi. Oh, okay. I <laughs> admire and respect her enormously. I just think it's time for her to bring in a new leader and to move on, and you know, get, get somebody else. You know, get, bring some of the younger people up. But I think she's an amazing woman, and um, you can tell how powerful she is by how much time and energy the Republicans used to uh, put
2: her down. Have you ever seen like a president like this who's like, like I mean, if, you know, you've know you been in politics a long time who's sort of like uh, gone against their own party or, or played against their own party in this way?
5: I, come on, I don't think anybody's ever seen a president like this, of any country
1: almost.
2: Okay, Anastasia's got a, got a, a question on another topic.
1: Okay. What do you think about the Clinton book? Hillary Clinton uh, published her book. Did you get a chance oh. to look at it or or anything about it and highlights?
5: I haven't, I haven't read it, of course, but um, I think that, um, you, know, you know, I feel like she ought to move on. I think everybody ought to move on, but I also think she has a right to put out, you know, her version of what she thinks happened. It was really interesting today because there was a thing in the New York Times about Anthony Weiner and, you know, going in front of the judge yesterday, and I thought it was fascinating because I really forgot that he was in some ways responsible
2: for Told me coming out and making that statement and, oh yeah and, and then you know if, that, if
4: he hadn't been involved i think she would have won yeah speaking of reasons why she lost do you think it's fair she said that uh she felt like amazing a major reason why there wasn't like she didn't why she didn't win was because bernie didn't help to unify the party around her after the primary and uh paved the way for trump's crooked hillary campaign do you think that's fair
2: you were a bernie voter in the primary mom what did
5: yeah, I'm a Bernie voter. Um, I was a Bernie voter. I don't. I think it's ridiculous. I don't think that was the problem. I think the problem was that. I mean, number one, she did not run a great campaign. But number two, all these other things—the Comey, you know, the Comey letter and the, all that kind of stuff that happened—and all the the uh, emphasis by reporters on her emails day after day after day—and you know, the Republicans spent twenty-five, thirty years on Hillary, just like they've done on Nancy Pelosi. You know, sort of undercutting her making her seem like she was dishonest, when in fact, most of the things they accused her of, she never did. But I think they saw her early on as a danger, and they kept at it and kept at it. So by the time she ran, there was already this kind of sense that something was wrong, you know? Mm -hmm.
2: Okay, so mom, so I have one last question. I know you have to go, uh, you know. uh,
5: My phone is ringing. Let me turn it off. Hold on a minute. Okay. Okay.
2: How are you enjoying your new issue of The Point? Oh, the Basically. mountain climbing, Jacob Mikanowski's article.
5: Book. I, was great.
2: Um, I like it. Okay, well, thanks, Mom. This was great. We're going to check in with you again, uh, you know, in a couple of weeks when we do our next uh, Rather Be Reading podcast.
0: Okay, have a good evening,
2: everybody. Bye. Bye.
0: Bye. Thanks for listening to the first episode of Rather Be Reading, The Point Podcast. It's Sunday night at 1 a.m. after five days at the Brooklyn Book Festival, and right now, I'd rather be sleeping.
5: I'm going down to the library, picking out a book, check it in, check it out. Gonna say hi to the dictionary, picking out a book, check it in, check it out.